This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thank You Heartbreak. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, your host, and this is episode 15. Right now, it's about 1.30, certainly past 1.30, let's just say it that way. And I'm doing this episode because I'm not going to wait because this episode is going to be about not waiting for things in life. And when it comes to relationships, obviously not obviously, but that was a big reason I became a breakup coach. It wasn't just to help people afterwards to heal and kind of wrap their mind around what happened, but it was really to help people be more decisive and break up when they knew intuitively that they needed to. So that was a big problem in my own life. And it was just something I I struggled with tremendously, but not only relationships, I struggled with it tremendously in my own life. It's one of the biggest hurdles in my 20s was really waiting for my real life to begin. And I remember during my master's thesis, and it was a nonfiction thesis, and my mentor circling just got so much read and circling real life and she would put a question mark and there was not that I remember there was no really words but it was just a circle and a question mark each time and I realized in that moment like wait a second is this just not how it goes is this just not understood is this not just the natural way of life is this something I should be questioning is is this a strange thing to keep saying Last Friday, I was on the set of a Spike Lee TV show, and we were on the rooftop of one hotel. I think that's what it is. I'm now forgetting. I'm blanking. But it's in Dumbo, and it is just, oh my God, when you walk in, it smells like cedar. It's such a good scent. But we were on the rooftop doing the scene, and you know the people that I was seated with, I was telling them, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have walked over the bridges before and looked at this place and been like, I want to be that person. I want to be that person that's on that rooftop. And she said to me, she said, you are that person right now, except you're getting paid for it. Like, this is your real life. I swear to God, those were the words. And it was like, oh my God, there we go again, you know? And I just want to also preface this that It wasn't that I wanted to be that person on the rooftop and have that thing. I just wanted to live it. I wanted to see something that I wanted it to experience and not put it off, not wait until I had the people I wanted to be with there, or I felt like I was rolling the money to be doing it, or waiting until I was more of a, you know, summery rooftop person. I don't even know, but it was waiting until I was going to be that person that would just do those things. And the reality is that growth comes, it's a decision that snaps you away. So it's almost, you know, really like a lightning bolt. It's a choice you make. It's a decision 
But real growth and change, becoming a person, is the small daily steps. It's the unglamorous things. And I feel so confident about that. And the fact, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with it being slow because I feel like things that are slow are the things that stay. You know, it's the line, you know, you get to a place and you look back and everything's different. And yeah, that's, that's what I like about becoming a person where again, you snap awake and you go, Oh my God, I wasn't even keeping tabs with myself. I wasn't even keeping tabs with my life. But standing here today, I look back and I realize everything is different. And again, it's not just looking at your outward life and seeing that your outward life is different. It's internally how you feel on an everyday basis and how internally you're engaging with your outward life. Because it's not the outer stuff that you surround yourself around really. It's you want to feel good and comfortable and that the growth is coming from inside and how you're engaging with the world because you move through the world with yourself only. And it's ultimately what you, yeah, what you feel inside. So that is one thing that happened that was just, again, a little bit of a reminder that, you know, I am here. And last night I was thinking that, wow, like I feel, I feel propelled by life. I said that yesterday it was such an electric day and I felt propelled into the arms of it. But it was almost like there was this magnetic force that's pulling me further and deeper and wider out into my world. And there's moments in my life where I feel like, oh my God, it's this subtle, it's this feeling that this shift is happening. It's not about asking a lot of questions about why that is or what that's about, but just staying curious and staying in motion and allowing yourself to move deeper and wider into the answer. This week was extraordinary. I really just have to say that. It was extraordinary, all having to do with reasons about me not waiting anymore. And I think part of the feeling that I'm I'm feeling and sensing is that I'm transitioning to a phase where I've stepped up my game, I've stepped up my life in terms of the sense that like I'm not waiting anymore. And a lot of that falls back on, I will tell you what happened this week, but One of the things was that in my life, in my world, I know and I'm come to terms with the reality that no one's going to help me discover me. Meaning my posse of people, if I got a posse, they're not going to be the ones that tell the world to pay attention to me or tell the world about my services. You have to become your own best advocate and therefore you really have to reach for yourself. You have to reach for the things. You have to be the one. I was on set and God, I love people like this, but this guy, shout out to Alex, said to me, he was like, you need to listen to Mel Robbins. I thought of you and I just think it would resonate so much with you. I even think her Audible program, Kick-Ass, would really work well on your podcast, the format, and was just giving me all these things to listen to and to consider. And I, I encourage you to be that person. Be the person that has heard something, that thinks of something, and tell someone about it, tries to connect that force of inspiration and into their life, give them that key into more and into resonance. So of course, I started devouring Mel Robbins immediately, meaning that it went about to 5 a.m. 
And he was so right. So thank you, Alex. I mean, this guy got me. He gets what I'm up to. He gets what I'm about. And something that she said that was my week, but really beyond is my life. It's it's really what I want to help encourage for other people and always try to remain encouraging to myself. But Mel Robbins said, you need to hear this loud and clear. No one is coming. It is up to you. I want to say that again. You need to hear this loud and clear. No one is coming. It is up to you. Now, some people will hear that and they will think, God, what a lonely, cynical feeling. No one's coming. No one's going to support me. But let it be empowering. You know, the floodgates have opened and nothing I realized, even getting in this podcast, which I thought that someone else was really going to help me launch it. I realized that since that fell through, all the feedback that I get about the podcast and, you know, the, even the, the amount of people that I see listen to it, all the stats, any of that, I realized that it right now is so much sweeter that it's just coming from me, that it has been just up to me. And of course, the guests that want to come on, but that me sitting here at this desk and this piece being edited later is up to me. It's it's not in the hands of someone else. And I'm not saying that to do that for the rest of your life, not to call upon others, but it's maybe remembering that there could be a time or there will be a time where other people will become involved and you will be able to, quote unquote, delegate those needs to someone else. But for right now, this is quote unquote your baby and this is yours. And have fun with the fact that there's no rules for yourself. There's only the rules that you create and everything that you get back from a project is because you did it and no one, no one else has. This all relates to a big, big thing that happened to me. And I don't know where to start because many things happened this week. And I guess I'll just start with probably what's most relevant to this audience. And that is that I was brought on as an expert on to help I suck at dating, which is contestants. I don't know if that's the right word, but the the three hosts of the show have been on The Bachelor and Bachelorette as well as Bachelor in Paradise. So the franchise always people that I was curious about, I was drawn to, and also just those that people still really care about. And I will say that listening to this podcast, I remember when I chose to, I wanted to kind of get inspiration. I was, you know, in the midst of launching my own. And I remember just thinking, wow, like I got to give it to these guys. At At the one time it was one guy, Dean. And then it became Jared, and now it's also Vanessa. But I remember listening to the two guys before Vanessa got involved, and I was just like, oh, these are the people I want to be around. And I thought it was just, in a sense, brave and necessary to listen to men like this, and also then to have a female come in. And the camaraderie is so great. And they're not, they don't mirror each other's views. I loved how inquisitive these three are. So one thing to know about me is that I have applied for The Bachelor for four times, I think. Three, three or four times. How many times? No, I guess it was, it was four. Only three in person. Four was the one where I almost made it on. And that was actually onto Nick's season where Vanessa, who was interviewing me, you know, was the one that he ended up with. And I remember thinking at that time, I'm a breakup coach. This would be perfect for someone that's been nationally scrutinized going through all the several breakups on air. And I also just felt 
really connected to this type of person and, and his personality. Again, I thought there was a lot of depth there. And, and I remember thinking that when I got the call from the producer, like everything in my life was leading me up into this moment that it was inevitable. And I remember asking for help because he was introduced as the bachelor after they had already signed a contract with someone else. So it was late. So they reopened people being submitted for this and people actually like they wrote in for me and they put me up as it I'm, I'm blanking on the word of what they call it and I remember thinking even then that it wasn't my close friends that were trying to get me to this place even when I went on audition I remember it was a little bit outside of Miami I was in town and all my friends the night before knew that I was going to this they knew for years that you know I've always talked about it it was something that I really wanted in my life you know don't ask me why now always can be discussed later but and I remember going and I was getting close to this place because again it was a bit of a commute and getting a message from a best friend of mine saying are you here and I was like am I here but almost I'm about to park why are you here and it turns out that she showed up with other girls that I had been out to dinner with the night before that knew I was auditioning. And it wasn't that there should be any sort of competition, though I immediately said, oh, this is funny, I guess the competition starts now. But it was so strange to me that they didn't say at dinner, oh, I'm going to be doing it too. And I remember, like, I, I wanted to understand, like, why wasn't I included in this? Like, why why was this kept from me? And also, why was there four people rallying around this one girlfriend of ours? And I was driving alone. Why is that in my life? And I was told, you don't need the support. And I cannot tell you how much support I've needed in my life. And during times like those, but there has been something about me that I have to accept that appears to others. And I carry myself in ways that appears that I don't need support, which goes back to the episode that I did, episode 14 with Angelica Hodges, where she talks about when you go get help for yourself, when you realize you do need support, an important part of that equation is becoming comfortable, not even comfortable, but just doing it, asking for help in the meantime from others. And that was something I had to get good at because for whatever reason, my personality, people don't think I need their help. So I have to go asking for it. But something that I realized when I was applying for The Bachelors, it was people on the periphery that had been watching me from afar, or friends of friends, or had gone to high school with me and remembered me, or had gone to college with my sister and remembered me, been reading my writing and knew what I was about. They were the ones rooting for me. They were the ones that got me really the opportunity to get on The Bachelor. But crazy story, I never got on it. And had I, I never would have started my advice column and I never would have gone on to meet my now ex, which might sound odd to people, but you know, that relationship is important. It was an important relationship that I had. And I never, I wouldn't be coaching like I'm doing right now because, you know, I mean, I sure would have gotten many more things out of it, but I wouldn't be doing this. So it's just wild how life brings you back to where you kind of wanted to see yourself and yet it's in a different role. And in tr full transparency, though I've always kind of wanted to get on The Bachelor, one very young age, I thought it was very ego-driven, like I can talk about love and have conversations that these people aren't having when they're on these dates. And then the other part was that like, I'm just really attracted and I have admiration for a man that feels one that he would go on camera and expose and express himself, but also is a conversationalist, must be, must be able to make many people feel good about and comfortable with themselves. 
So that really attracted me to the idea of going on. But then later on, it was about, and a lot of people try to convince me otherwise, but maybe this would be an avenue for me to kind of launch myself just a little bit more. To piggyback off of that, my ex-boyfriend who wrote into my advice column who I met after I didn't get onto The Bachelor, we ended up having a feature with Glamour, which went on for months, you know, the back and forth, the hour-long interviews for it, the 60 pictures being submitted, and it was supposed to come out last October and then November and then they switched over to a new owner and it never happened and I think those two things it was about just if you're wondering it was about how our relationship was faded and again that I had this advice column that he had written into and I had held absolutes that I would never date someone I had circumstances like his I needed to know if those really were my absolutes like was that my idea or was I kind of raised in, into having that idea so they were really intrigued by that story and they were going to do a feature on us. And for a long time, I waited for that date. I thought, wow, when that happens, my career is going to just explode. That, And I just kept looking at that date and then the date never came. And what happened now, how I got on iHeart Radio's Help I Suck at Dating is I was feeling very tired, kind of like I'm feeling right now, and zombie-like last Wednesday or the Wednesday prior. And I was like, you know what? I wrote out a list. I've got to do these things right now. I don't care. I can't be about how I feel right now. And don't overcomplicate this. And I found the three hosts' email addresses. I couldn't find the producers. And I emailed them and I pitched myself. And in under an hour, I heard back from two people, but one being in under an hour. And again, I had thought about this for a long time about making this reach. And in under an hour, I heard from the VP of iHeartRadio that deals with Ryan Seacrest and Mario Lopez. And she said, I want to talk to you. Let's talk on Friday. And on Friday, the first thing she said to me, I can't wait for you to come on the show Tuesday. And it happened really quite easily. And it was such a special moment for me because I had done it myself. And it was proof that it wasn't about overcomplicating it. And it was telling someone what you want. It was inviting yourself onto their show. It was asking for it. But that really tells me also about that circumstance, how I reached as a professional reaching out to them and how I tried for other things to happen in my life. And I kind of was riding on that, the glamour feature. And then the bachelor potential was that it was a roundabout way of saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I offer. This is who I work with. It was a roundabout way. It wasn't stepping out and saying, this is what I do. Bring me on. I will be valuable to your audience. And what's, I don't know what, what resonates with me really now is the fact that where I got an immediate answer, an immediate yes, was not when I said, oh, I could like come in through this back angle and it would be funny that I'm this way or maybe someone will pick up on it. It'll be a clever catch or a wow factor. It was just, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I can offer. This is how I support people. It was just saying who I am right now. And it worked. That was the one way that worked and it worked quickly. That said, what else has happened to my week? And I'll make this sort of brief is, you know, I finally, after God, four years of thinking about it beyond four years, but when I finally moved back to New York, I really wanted to join Soho House, but I really felt like my career needed to be in a certain place. I felt like that was how they really vetted people. And then three weeks ago, I guess now it was like the last day and my friend was like, do it. And I did it. That's it. 
that I got in and I've been using it ever since. And so amazing days that I had this week started in such new ways, ways that I've wanted to engage my days ever since I've been back here. Even if I have something that's really soon after fitting in this guided meditation with Tibetan bells, then the next day I went to a bar class, which I'd always wanted to do. Then I took a client to Soho House one evening, something I've always envisioned for myself. I went back and I worked there. I worked and I edited my podcast episode, episode 14. And I today went to my first networking event there. And it was all these women, which are always surrounded by women. I've never kind of made a joke. I don't mingle with women. I mingle with men. So it was, and I got to tell you, just for anyone out there, you know, I came in in this room bustling with women and I got my coffee, kind of went up to these two women and just, hi, you know, thinking I could kind of, you know, everyone was in the midst of a conversation, kind of say, find my way in and radio silence. But then when we had to introduce each other, there was really a real reaction to to hearing what I did. And I was completely, it was mind-boggling hearing their careers because it's so out of the range of of my reality or understanding. And pretty, I'm saying impeccable, but just powerful women, it really appeared to be. But then we ended up going into separate groups and there was an immediate camaraderie. So again, don't always base it on the first 30 seconds of you entering a room. You can always find your groove and get comfortable. And so those were some amazing things that happened. And yeah, the podcast interview and oh God, there's just so much more. But you know, I received another letter last night from a man that wrote into me. And I say another because these are happening so often now about a column that I wrote a year and a half ago, I think, for the Huffington Post. And, and it was the column that became my boyfriend. It was a man that wrote into me about a woman that wasn't ready, she said, to date him. And God, I will just tell you now that I never heard from anyone while I was dating him about that column. No one. And the moment we broke up, I started hearing from men weekly. And I think that I really need to give these questions attention. And that's only one part of it. But so there is a question about waiting. That's what it was about. Do I wait for her? Or she says that she's not ready, so she's waiting. And I think I really want to address that in a future episode. But right now, what I want to talk about is something that piggybacked off of episode 14, one part of it being not waiting for, um, not waiting to get help. So in something that I'm going to read to you, something that I'd written, it was about also not waiting till I needed help before I asked for it. And that was therapy specifically. Um, and in the last episode, Angelica really spoke about therapy, just really giving her a new lease on life. So I thought that that was a good connection and also not waiting for your real life to begin. And as I was saying before, don't wait to reach, don't wait till you're better and, and have a bigger following and sound better and if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is what it's about. There's this theme runs through it. I'm talking about this and it really, it goes one part of the core is that I used to wait to break up. I used to wait till I was stronger, till I had more friends or, you know, till I actually refound the love that I had in the beginning. And so being a breakup coach is breaking up with the idea of waiting anymore and just doing the damn thing. 
So in an upcoming episode, I will address these letters that I've been receiving from men about waiting for a woman that says she's not ready for him. And we will delve into that. But for right now, it's about more about waiting for your real life to begin, whatever that looks like it means. And before I read you what I had written about that, I will tell you one of the biggest things I waited for that's connected to this writing is I was addicted to Adderall for eight years. And I used to wait to apply for jobs, writing jobs, because I was afraid that, God, if I got hired off of the work that I was able to show them that I had for the most part written while I was on Adderall, would I become more of a fiend? I also felt like I didn't want to, I couldn't publish any of my work yet because there was resistance. There was real resistance when I was on Adderall and I went from five milligrams to over 90. So this was a serious thing and, and something that I was quite quiet quiet about because there was so much shame. And for that reason, I couldn't publish any of my writing um, and take it to the next level and stop waiting because I felt ashamed that I didn't know what was mine. And I also withdrew from a clinical psychology program because I was really terrified that the Adderall, I was going to abuse it so much while I was in that program because I was going to start to feel like a fraud and that eventually I would wind up in a rehab and that even if I managed to get, after seven years at least, a doctorate, that all the light would have drained out of my eyes and my face. The only thing that brought me back to life and and helps me stop waiting and burst the bubble of fear was becoming a breakup coach. And then from there, transitioning and using writing to get my voice out there to connect with people to help, you know, really build up my name as a breakup coach. But before I could do that, I knew I had to stop taking Adderall. And I couldn't do it for eight years. It was harder than overcoming my eating disorder. And like a lot of things in my life, it was one day waking up and said I had to try. I This could not happen anymore for me. And it was a decision. And back then with the with the whole Adderall, it was, you know, just go one more day, go one more day without it. I have to at least try and see how I will feel then because I was so exhausted taking all these pills and nothing was happening for me. And it was scary. It was that I was back in the city that I had dreamed of coming back to and I really wasn't making enough of my life. I'd left the program and, and I was shackled in by fear and drugs. And I made the decision to try and stop, to not take the pill for the first time in eight years, to not take it excessively. And within five days, I submitted my writing, something I had thought about for over five years doing. Five sounds small because we're just seeing the number five, but think about every day in a year and then multiply that by five and realize what that felt like, the resistance that built up over years. Within five days, I submitted my writing within five days of being off a drug that had literally wrecked me over eight years. I was published and I think about often if I had never gotten that green light, would I've gone back to the Adderall and where would I be right now? This writing came out of that time, came out of that early, you know, for me not waiting anymore and also me not waiting till it was really about me not waiting for a better time to finally quit. I used to always think, oh, well, when the summer comes and I don't have school, that will be the perfect time. Or when I start juicing or when I start going to the gym, I'll be energized that way. I mean, there was a million excuses and it's the most self-sabotaging thing you can do for yourself and the gift of your life. So without further ado, I'm going to go and read to you a piece that I wrote after I stopped waiting to get off the Adderall and stop waiting to submit my writing. And that was, oh my God, it was, um, it changed my life. So 
I'm proud of that. And I'm really proud of reaching and like Mel Robbins said is embracing that no one is coming and it is up to me. And I'm excited right now about seeing how much more I can bring into myself and, and bring toward myself. This article was written on Thought Catalog and it was called, it is called, Read This If You're Waiting for Your Real Life to Begin. I woke up and showered and wrote a doctor who practices not far from my apartment. Over the last 10 years, I've been a transplant, I told her. I've lived in five cities, never coping well, never braced with any enthusiasm to stay. My real life, I've always imagined, will begin once I graduate, and when I wasn't in school was after my boxes were unpacked, once the cardboard was broken down, the bookshelf, the paintings matted and hung on freshly coated walls. It was a matter of when the vitamins would kick in, when I'd start juicing, begin running, sleep sooner, wake earlier. It was always a matter of time and some doing and one day. It's been a terrible tendency, this tendency to put off living, to look at my life and say, this isn't my real life, not yet at least. This isn't how my life will actually be, not after I graduate and move to a new city and move in and make friends and develop roots and work out and begin cooking and start getting paid what I'm worth and have enough money. And then when I'm doing all the various things, that'll make me feel like I'm a real respectable adult. Once I begin doing all the various things that'll make me acceptable, worthy, valued. This is exactly how I reasoned away my 20s. By telling myself that life would then be beautiful and my achievements then courageous and my lifestyle then applaudable once I start living, which will be happening soon, very soon. Rather than stretching toward change or initiating growth, I somehow got into the habit of depending on a future date and my denial, my talent for convincing myself that change has to just come, that it was an inevitable when it's not. I knew that too, or I felt like I knew something was wrong. I could feel it in my body that I was resisting the better path. And I saw so much too, saw that nothing was happening that I was not challenging myself as I needed to, but even then, that wasn't enough to excite me into action or energize me toward my goal. It's difficult to explain, really. Maybe it's just that the more you wait to become some way, the more you lose your capacity to believe you can become any other way at all. It happens over time. That spark in your belly, that dream within reach, it begins to dissolve, eaten away by a hatred we never had before, a hatred toward ourselves, a hatred that we've come into in a sobering moment of insight. Our hatred comes from recognizing that it is ourselves alone who have been the only real problem all along, the only real hindrance, an obstacle we also recognize that we had at our complete control. This sobering insight is all of this. That timing isn't what we're up against. What we're up against is our disinterest in being more useful. Somehow in our 20s usually, we slip beyond logic and self-control and begin to dream, not in an inspired way, but in a way that is impossible, in a way that begins with if or when. The if-when thinking that I participated in has always involved the narrative of readying myself, needing time or in due time, rather than taking life on from where I was. I didn't see it then, that where we are is really our only chance. And what happened is that living with my blinders up, I became consumed with future thinking and a wash and a tsunami of self-doubt put off confronting what living in the now means for me, what that asks of me also. I guess I've been a slowly turning page, a narrative of not yet enough. 
I've been hopeful and longing, longing for a greater-than-myself dreaminess, an immediacy down in my feet, an empowering optimism that I once could call upon at whim. What I've been doing is avoiding. Avoiding life's very sobering reality that this is life. In fact, this is my life, and it is happening constantly, regardless of my participation or lack of it. While emotionally stable, I'm reaching out to you as a precautionary incentive. This is what I wrote the doctor. I'm reaching out to you because I'm afraid of my own unhappiness. Because my friends and family are telling me the same thing that I shouldn't wait until I need you. So I'm reaching out to you for that reason. Because I want to start doing what I've never done. I want to not wait. And while stable is good and fine, it really isn't a word that has much life to it. And that's all I've ever been after anyway, my own liveliness. That's still my goal, to not wait for soon, for when I will be ready and I will be better and life will be real and applaudable and brilliant. Because this happening to me right now is my real life. This is it. We can't wait for our life to begin because our life never just begins, but rather is always there waiting for us to begin to join it. And it finishes there. It's emotional to think about the struggle that that was, but what a turning point that letter was to that doctor. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying she did everything for me, but I don't know if I I would have left that program if I hadn't have gone there and talked to her. And I remember her saying to me that she believed that there was a book inside of me and that she hoped that one day she would read it. I'm getting emotional about that, but... Again, something that I don't want to wait for and has been coming up more and more in my life. Are you going to be writing a book? Are you going to be writing a book? And I really think the worst thing that we do is wait on ourselves to be better, to be more enough in a certain category, to become more real. This is it. We have it. And life happens when we engage in living it. Jared on Help I Suck at Dating said to me he had a lot of insecurities that kept him from wanting to be with Ashley and feeling ready for it. And that he kept on using this word, I had to force myself to change. I had to force myself to face the demons of insecurities to become that man. And then when I had the opportunity, when she was in front of me to seize the moment. And it's true. We have to force ourselves to write the letter to the doctor, to book the phone session, to invite our friend that we haven't seen in a long time out to eat, to go on a new date, if that's what it is, to break up with someone who still doesn't capture our heart or someone that we love but we know that we don't feel right about. We have to force ourselves to write the damn email to the highest place that we're reaching for, not always to have to start on the bottom and put ourselves there, but to say, where do I want to be? Who do I want to talk to? What audience is my audience? And go reach for them, go contact them, and not wait. Not wait till we have a bigger audience, how we can prove more. Do it now. Don't wait to join clubs. Don't wait to record the podcast. Don't wait to introduce yourself to two people that are already talking. Don't wait to stick around afterwards to talk to two more people. Don't wait to say sorry. I want to talk about that in a future episode. Never wait to say thank you. You can never say it enough. Don't wait to become curious about the people that are sitting next to you that have made decisions and choices leading up through their whole life to the same choice that you made today at this time. Take it seriously. Take it as a sign. Take it as an invitation. 
Mel Robbins also said, when it comes to change, goals, and dreams, you have to bet on yourself. A huge book that became a giant success of hers was The Five Second Rule, and she couldn't get out of bed in the morning. She was facing a lot of serious troubles, bankruptcy, uh, her husband's business that had gone under, and she was unemployed, I believe, at the time, and it was just all daunting. And she remembered seeing the NASA lift off and hearing the 54321, and she thought, oh, I've got to do that. When I feel the resistance build up into me, I've got to go five, four, three, two, one, and launch myself. And you know what excites me about this? Launch yourself. Break upward. I'm going to leave it there. Five, four, three, two, one. Break the fuck upward. Or in kinder terms, five, four, three, two, one. Break upward. Do not wait until you're more ready or the grass looks greener or you to feel prettier. Do not wait to break upward. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. And share with me. Please reach out to me. Write me on Instagram in a direct message. Email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. My Instagram is thankyouheartbreak. To connect with my coaching services, you can find them at breakupward.com. I'm going to link to the podcast that I was interviewed on, Help I Suck at Dating. And you can listen to me with all the bachelor and the bachelorettes and hear what we had to say. I love that conversation. I come in at minute 24 and I say I could have done it for 24 hours straight and yeah let me know where you're resisting what's keeping you from going after something now what have you really been waiting for in your life and what do you think that means and what do you think you might have if you didn't wait any longer and more importantly who do you think you would be how do you think you would feel about yourself if you no longer waited bye guys i will talk to you next time